The supernatural fandom often calls itself the supernatural family. Families, we go through life together, we laugh together and we cry together. We also grieve together. Today, we grieve the loss of our friend Dagny, who you may have known as Meta Castiel on Twitter or Dagny Ain on Tumblr. To highlight and celebrate her life, we would like to read a passage from her eulogy and obituary written by Robin Lynn. The link to the full text can be found in the show notes. Dagny was strong. Despite the many obstacles life constantly hurled in her direction, she was always looking forward and moving towards the future. She saw the best in people, even those who failed her, those who didn't deserve her grace and forgiveness. She loved her mother more than anything in the world, and Chelsea, her cat, a very close second. Dagny was amazing at appreciating the simplest things, a free coffee at Tim's, some stickers in the mail, or a small windfall that allowed her to purchase a meal kit from the grocery store would brighten her entire week, and she would gush about how happy she was for days. Dagny greatly admired Misha's missions and charity work, following Gish closely and always striving to share and boost his campaigns and those of other cast members. She often expressed that she wished she could do or donate more, even while she struggled to provide bare essentials for herself. Dagny was selfless like that. To Dagny, family doesn't end in blood. You made an impact and will never forget you. This wasn't supposed to be the end of the road, but you taught me that sometimes life has other plans and there's nothing to do but roll with them. Until we meet again, my friend, thank you for being you. If you would like to do something to honor Dagny, her life, and her passions, she would want you to donate to the Castiel Project. It's particularly fitting, as besides being a beloved project to her, Dagny also deserved a happy ending that just wasn't in the cards. Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural, Season 6, Episode 20, The Man Who Would Be King. Let's get this show on the road. All right, so before we get into anything, like I just want to say that this is like part one of two of the episodes that we're going to make about like the men who would be king. So we have our regular episode this week, and we're also going to have like a special episode coming up uh, during our usual like between season hiatus sort of thing. And we're so excited to share that with you guys in a few weeks. That was so much fun. And I genuinely think it did such a good job of helping me process this episode, which will allow for a much more well-thought-out conversation today. What did you think of this episode? Like, coming fresh out of it sort of thing. Again, we watched this live with a lot of our listeners. All of our patrons were were invited to this uh, to this event. So we had, like, 30-some people watching along with us. It was bananas. <laughs> After having seen this episode, it left me, I think reeling is the best word to use. Just like so much happened 
in such a like powerful way. It wasn't like one of those like, oh, there's so much to break down. It was like, no, this was really just like one or two really powerful things that just hit you hard. Like I I almost felt winded by the end of it. Like going back over and discussing it, there was like details I like didn't remember or like that like didn't phase me because I was already so shaken. Did you get a chance to go back and rewatch it just like out of curiosity to see if there's anything else that you're like, oh. I did a rewatch this uh, one of the nights this weekend before doing my notes. And honestly, I don't think it did as much as it would have had we not had that other recording we did that will be coming out in the midseason. I think that had already done so much. But the extra viewing did give me a chance to kind of go over and like connect some of those dots better of like, oh, we discussed this. Yes, I see it. Mm hmm. So for anyone who doesn't remember this episode, would you care to give us a recap? Count me down. All right. Three, two, one, go. We had an entire episode from Cass's perspective, basically, where he is breaking the fourth wall talk to the camera. Cass is revealing to us a little bit more of his plan, how he got to where he is. We're kind of getting a bit of flashback going on with his interactions with Sam and Dean the entire season when he was or wasn't there. We find out that Cass can be there without being seen. So he's able to kind of spy on everybody. Clearly, Bobby and Sam at this point are kind of like suspicious. Dean is fully like, nope, Cass is on our side. Nothing can go wrong. Turns out Cass has been dealing with Crowley and they're trying to work together to get the souls because he wants purgatory and he wants the souls. They can split it 50-50 and they'll book the power, but be happy. Uh, kind of a weird W-No situation. Through a little bit of Cass's um, pride, as he keeps putting it, and his uh, going too far, he accidentally tips his hand. Dean figures it out. As soon as Dean realizes that something's wrong, Bobby and Sam are like, we knew it, we're good. Let's throw it in his face. Let's catch Cass. And they try to like stop Cass while Cass has been trying to stop Crowley from stopping them, even though they're working together. And ultimately, we get like what is effectively a breakup between Dean and Cass because they just can't see eye to eye on this and they need to go separate ways. And Cass is kind of sort of a villain now time. <laughs> so I remember the first time that I watched this, like I was by myself uh, in in my mom's basement because that's where I was living at the time, and uh, like I that moment, like when Dean and and Sam and Bobby leave um, the the demon house, like with Cass still in the holy fire, like that look between the two of them, I like jumped up from my bed, like sat right up and was like. Oh, okay. And I obviously immediately texted Rochelle. I'm like, oh, so Dean is in love with Cass. <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed to say that it took me that long to see it. But like, that's like first watch, I guess. That's where I was. I feel like I was spoiled in the sense that I had a community around me who already kind of understood the nuances of the group, that they were able to like connect the dots of Cass and Dean are clearly a thing. I truly wonder if I would have seen it before this moment myself without the outside influence, which again, impossible in this day and age of the internet. Like, I don't think it's a thing we could have done. But like this episode is one of those moments where it just really, it's so heavily implied and felt and clear. I just want to get through the long game because we have so much to talk about in story time. This long game has a lot to do with things that like we've seen throughout season six, but now that we're getting Cass's perspective on them, like literally and figuratively, it sort of changes everything that we thought that we knew. First off, and we're going to go into the details later, but we find out that like avoiding the apocalypse in season five had some really, really important consequences on like the political stability of heaven, basically. I feel like now that I've looked into that more, 
it doesn't make sense because like why was Raphael so like well let's get back on track even though God clearly rewarded you for stopping the apocalypse and God clearly likes what you're doing why should we continue with God's plan if even God doesn't want to continue with it it just feels like one of those like it feels like an Old Testament versus New Testament thing <laughs> of like no 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 I don't care what God's saying now he wrote this down and that's the way we're doing it just because he changed his mind doesn't mean he's suddenly right which seems very bizarre but like the kind of logic that goes with that. But just to respond to that quickly, Drew, he says, because it's what I want. Like, and that's the only thing we get. And I think that that is meant to show how capricious the angels are. Or at least that's how I'm seeing it. Does it make sense emotionally? I don't think so. But I, I think that that is meant to not make sense. It, it's meant to show the angels in such like a unfeeling way in order to contrast with Cass. So I think it's part... It's meant to feel that way. Yeah, that makes sense. I will defend Bennett Lund. <laughs> we do get a glimpse of how old Cass is and how long he's been around. He watched the first thing exit the sea and come onto land. We also get our first uh, of two looks straight into the camera. Again, I love how you kind of like led me to that a few weeks ago in our discussion. <laughs> I think it was even last week of like a little gym to camera look. Uh, I'm also going to take this opportunity to mention that this is the only episode that we ever get throughout the series through Cass's perspective. So we need to keep in mind that the Ghostfacers uh, effect might be present in the story. So Cass just can't remember how to rake leaves, which is why Dean can't get his memory rake leaves properly. Got it. We get like a million lines in this episode that people quote all the time, like the little gray fish, the denim wraps nightmares. Uh, I was there. Where were you? Freedom is a length of rope and God wants you to hang yourself with it. Like it's just one banger after the other. Ben just started hitting lines out of the park and didn't stop. Doesn't want to look up out of his hand. It's said the episode's too long. Stop. We get told again that there's not one big heaven and that each soul basically generates its own paradise. Uh, we had first found this out in uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door in season five. And we also find out that Cass favors the eternal Tuesday afternoon of an autistic man, which I think would be a good jumping off board eventually uh, to talk about reading Cass as neurodivergent. Oh, 100%. I, I think that came up in the like chat window during our uh, watch together and like it's something we've like touched on or has been brought up before, but this was again one of those like, oh, we're really gonna stamp it down here with like a very good contextual piece of evidence. It was just phenomenal. We see that Rachel, who Cass killed in Frontierland just a couple episodes ago, was one of the first angels to approach Cass after like the avoided apocalypse. Could the angels be any more like annoying? <laughs> it was like you have freedom to do what you want. Great, what do we do? That's not the point. <laughs> It's really meant to show like how different Cass is from the rest of the angels, right? Very, very clearly, like it does its job of like, this is what angels think and feel. And Cass is so divorced from that because of his time with, I'm going to say the humans. And you know, I mean, Dean. Crowley calls Cass Angel of Thursday, which is another nod back to Eric Kripke. Because apparently when they were writing season four, Kripke was looking for a name for this angel, you know, this random three episode angel that they were going to introduce into the series. And since Supernatural was airing on Thursdays, he Googled like Angel of Thursday and the name Castiel came up. I feel like we've discussed this before and I still think it's hilarious. It's like for a show that puts so much like thought 
into like the naming of people. Like I guarantee you like every other angel, like all the other ones, like all have kind of biblical background and meaning. And then Cassiel is just Thursdays. He feels like a Thursday though. There you go. We find out that Crawley uh, remodeled hell to his image, um, <laughs> somewhat literally too, with putting paintings of himself up. Um, and he's basically making people wait in like one endless line, uh, which honestly I think is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, no, there's something to say about like queuing and the British. And I think Crowley just like married that perfectly. We finally found out what Cass and Crowley were doing together. They were basically trying to find purgatory in order to find the souls and to take them for themselves and to fight like their respective battles like in heaven and hell. We are going to dig into this a bit later when we talk about Crowley, but I have a lot of thoughts about this. And the episode ends with Dean and Cass's relationship probably at the worst that we've ever seen it since they've become friends. And Cass praying to God for a sign, which to me was pretty reminiscent of Dean calling John in home, begging him to call him back. Ugh, such an emotional ending. Fuck. Our theme this week is duplicity, which is a kind of deception basically in which you intentionally hide like your true feelings or your intentions behind false words or actions it's another word that has latin roots and that refers to like this idea of doubleness or like something that is twofold honestly like it really reminded me of when we talk about someone being two-faced which may or may not be a reference to Misha Collins playing Harvey Dent in Gotham Knights. All right, do you want to get us started with Sam to see where we find duplicity in Sam's story? Yeah, I think Sam is weirdly in his most true Sam self here. Uh, you know, we know him to be the logic-minded, you know, to speak out more, especially recently. He thinks something is wrong, he's going to say it. But here, though, he and Bobby have their instincts that something's wrong and rightfully so they're they, they are right in that one but he doesn't say anything and given the feelings between how him and bobby are feeling on this whole thing it really feels like sam is acting as the dam stopping them from telling dean that he thinks Cass is working for crowley like if it were up to bobby bobby would just be like no dean you're wrong we need to deal with this Cass has gone rogue or some shit and sam while agreeing with the bobby is very much let me protect my brother let me save him from the pain of potentially finding out someone he loves is going to hurt him. And like, as much as he's, again, he's right. And, and he, I feel like Sam's usually right about things when it's like not something they're arguing about. Sam is so often right about things when it comes to research or finding solutions. Like he's the research one. He's the holder of knowledge in that way. Whereas Sam is usually one to speak his mind, even if he ultimately doesn't know if he's right or wrong. The fact that he chooses not to hear, the fact that he is keeping this from Dean and not confronting him, I think is so much more out of love for Dean and protection than it is about being right for once. Yeah, that, and that's exactly, so that's exactly the example that came to mind when I was thinking about this. Because like, you know, yes, of course, he is hiding his true feelings behind words and actions. And so in that way, like you can think of it as duplicity. But the thing is, I don't see this as being deceptive. I see it as being like a protection mechanism for Dean, right? Like, I agree with you. I don't see this as Sam being duplicitous. I see it as him being protective of his brother. 
he is putting love before logic, which I think is something we don't see for, in Sam very often. Sam is very logic-minded, and I know we've just gotten past Sola Sam, who was 100% logic. But as we've kind of seen with Sam getting his soul back, he is a very kind and loving and generous person, but he is still very logical. And, you know, in facing what is literally a potential angel-demon team-up uh, that could be anything, for all we know, at least for them could be anything, any horrible possible reality. And again, rather than tell Dean and try to solve this and hopefully work with him to find a solution, he's just like, let me protect you. And that, I think that is just like such a great, it feels like a really nice arc for Sam this season, going from logic, sound, do the right thing, even if it means killing innocent people, to like, no, I care about people. I have a soul. Also, the fact that Sam's not going around being like, oh yeah, fuck Cass, like he for sure betrayed us, like we need to gank his ass, right? Like, because at the end of the day, like Dean, Dean would not be really receptive to that either way, even, even if... If, and I don't think it is, even if these were Sam's true feelings for Cass, right? Um, so it's it's really in everyone's best interest for Sam to be gentle with Dean. But again, like, I, I don't think that Sam cares so little about Cass that he wouldn't want to, like, double and triple check before taking any drastic measures. There is, like, a level of Sam that is, like, okay, I'll, I'll confront Dean once I'm 1000% sure, once I have literal video evidence of like him and Crowley doing a secret handshake and like a written signed letter from the two of them admitting they're working together, then maybe I'll let Dean know I think something's up. But like, until then, my brother trusts Cass, I trust my brother and Cass enough that I'm going to side with them. Well, let's let's uh, move on to Dean. Oh, hey, poor Dean. <laughs> Nothing will ever break my heart as much as the look on his face when he realizes Cass was clearly lying to them. And the fact that it comes through as a Superman reference. So literally, like I, I think I said it while we were watching it together. It's like the, the, the peak of like love and like he's making nerdy references. He gets me. And then, oh, he's making a reference to a thing he shouldn't have been there to hear us say, which means, oh, no. Yeah, no, this is the most painful thing the show's ever done to me. And yes, I am sure the show will hurt me more. And I'm just being optimistic. And that may be duplicitous of me. <laughs> but Dean is like one of only two characters this week who really seems to not be hiding something from us. And we'll get to that. You know, he's truly trusting of Cass. Like there's no part of him that's doubting him until literally the tipping point. Because he has no reason not to trust Cass. You know, they've formed a relationship that is so honest and open with each other. and. I don't think any part of Dean could expect Cass to belong to them. I think what's really interesting about Dean this week is that he's on like the receiving end of du duplicity. So you get to witness like in real time what the immediate repercussions of it are. And we see the kind of devastation that happens with deep betrayal. And I feel like the exchanges between Dean and Cass in this episode had like a different flavor than the ones between Dean and Sam in season four. Like first off, Dean had like no problem believing that Sam was betraying him, but he flat out refused to believe that Cass was betraying him. And I think that that speaks to the level of trust that Dean and Cass had for one another, especially that Dean had for Cass, but also the level of hurt uh, that he's feeling in the aftermath. Cass was hiding an entire evil plot of working with the literal new devil. Devil 2.0? Devil Light? Devil Zero. 
something. Dean is just so absolutely devastated. Diet demon. Diet demon. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I would, I would drink diet di- di- demon. Diet demon. demon cherry. I don't know. Uh, yeah, there you go. Vanilla demon. <laughs> Dean is just so absolutely devastated. And again, is not hiding it. He's not trying to pretend it's just like a, oh, how could you work with the evil? I'm disappointed in you. But he's like honestly being so vulnerable and open. And, like, really asking Cass the question, like, why did you lie to me? How could you lie to me? Like, he's not even saying, like, what you did is wrong or, like, I'm disappointed. Just, no, no, no. You lied to me. How could you do that? Everything about their last confrontation just before the end of the episode is just so heartbreaking because it really is just the two of them wanting the other one to understand them. But both are just so hurt and can't deal with the other one at that moment. And they just end up hurting each other more. Listen, that last scene is like a complete breakdown in communication. I was thinking when we were watching it about how we were talking about how it felt that they were a bit out of sync this season, like kind of a long distance relationship. And I think that this was truly like the epitome of that. I think that this speaks to like the worst case scenario after finding out about a betrayal from somebody that you love and and you're trying to talk about it but it you just don't have the right tools to do that but we're gonna leave that at that for now because we do go much more into that in the upcoming special episode but this feels like almost not a rom-com that moment where like well like why don't we see other people they're like kind of the empty threat hoping the person goes like no never and then they accept they like they meet your bluff and you're like oh shit what this is Ross and Rachel. Maybe we should take a break. Oh, Jesus, it is. Holy crap, it is. Right, let's go get some frozen yogurt or something. No, a break from us. Oh, my God. I hate that so much. Yep, there you go. You're welcome. All right, what about Cass? Cass, I feel like, has had this really good role the last few weeks where he has been, like, the beacon of our weekly theme. Truly, like, proving as like a clear-cut example of what it is we're like working through with the brothers. And in this case, he's working to save them and keep them from figuring out his plots. He's, he's playing both sides, not just in the lying to them and working with Crowley, but also in the working against Crowley to keep them safe from Crowley. So it's like duplicity inception. There's like four of him. I'm really, it's getting tough. <laughs> I don't think what Cass is doing is wrong. I feel like it's very much like Crowley has made an offer to Cass that doesn't seem bad. And we'll talk about Crowley a bit more. And like, it's the one chance they have that Cass has a success. Forget Crowley for now. And he's like been given this option that seems to be fairly safe in regards to not hurting humans, especially or doing anything too devious. But he still chooses to hide it from Sam and Dean because he feels it's wrong because it does require siding with someone that they are actively fighting against. You know, it surely wouldn't be something they would approve of, but, like, I feel like it's the kind of thing where he knows it's going to be an argument, so why don't prove he can do everything right before he reveals it to them? The same way Sam doesn't want to reveal to Dean how he feels about the whole cast betrayal thing until they're 100% in the clear. It's really interesting to me that in season four, remembering, like, how much you defended Sam... And how you were like, oh, you know, comic book rules, sometimes like the end justifies the means. And I just find it really interesting that you're doing it again. And we're just two seasons later. 
I just think there's a bias in the fact that I know where the show goes. I know there are X number more seasons. I know these three stay the main characters till the end. So there's a part of me that's always like, they're going to have to write themselves out of this hole eventually. So the thing they're doing can't be that bad. It's like the same way when they revealed like, oh, Captain America's actually evil mid working for Hydra and this isn't a weird trick. And then like, they were kind of like, oh, it was a weird trick, but like not the way you thought it was a weird trick. So we didn't lie to you technically. And like, it's always back to the status quo. And I think that's an unfortunate reality of TV where I always kind of know we have to get back to a status quo. Oh, that's fine. It makes a lot of sense, but I will say that this is one of those times where that does not help you. <laughs> because I don't know if you remember, but we were talking at one point that Misha Collins, who plays Castiel, was fired during season seven. Keep that in mind. He was supposed to leave the show. Oh, shit. Okay. Wow. Okay. But ratings tanked and they had to bring it back. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just to come back to the episode, like my personal take on this is that like what Cass is doing is wrong. And and like Dean says, he knows that it's wrong in part because he doesn't tell the Winchesters about it. And I also completely understand and empathize with his motivations for doing this, right? Like I'm holding, again, maybe this is me being duplicitous, but I am holding these two truths like very tight in my heart because I think that that's what it really comes down to here. Like I think that Cass is willing to be duplicitous, even with Dean, if it means finishing the civil war in heaven. Because, okay, like if we look at the road so far in this episode, it brings us back to the end of season five, where like the brothers Bobby and Cass managed to avoid the apocalypse on Earth. So people on Earth moved on. Uh, Dean was with Lisa and Ben. Sam was supposedly dead. And Bobby just like continued doing whatever he was doing. But avoiding the apocalypse also basically meant that there was a new conflict in heaven with Raphael threatening to make the apocalypse happen anyway. And Cass can't really have that because otherwise it would mean that everything that Dean and Sam, but I think in his mind, it's especially Dean, sacrificed was for nothing. And that's also why he refuses to take Dean out of retirement, right? In that moment, he's very clear with Crowley about that. So Let's be very clear here. Cass started a literal civil war to protect his boyfriend. It's very Greek tragedy of, of him. Cass truly reaches a point this week where he is like forced to be on the other side of the line from his precious Dean. And all he wants is not to have the whole gang understand him, but to have Dean see it his way and to forgive him. You know, not even like join or help, just forgive he feels like there is no other way and while this would normally result in a like surprise miracle solution from the brothers where like oh we figured out this and we can do this instead this time it's not the case dean just asks Cass to stop and Cass can't do it for him is it that he can't or is it that he won't oh it's that he won't because he thinks that if <sighs> yes he says that he didn't have a choice, but Dean comes back with like, no, you had a choice. You just made the wrong one. And, and I want to bring it back to the theme of the week here. Like it was really shocking to find out that he had been lying to Dean for an entire season. And like, you can argue that he only lied by omission, which is partly true, but like either way, it was definitely duplicitous. And even more so when you remember that he outright deceived them about Crowley's bones. So like, to me, Cass was just not honest with the Winchesters. And I think that, that that whole 
thing is also facilitated by the fact that he wasn't really around them much this season, right? We've talked about how he only showed up when Dean would pray to him and Dean would only do that when he needed help. So there wasn't that much contact. It was kind of easy to let things like just, oh, we just didn't talk about it kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where like at first the lying or the omission of truth was just easy and like he thought he'd be able to get away with it somehow. Like I think it's one of those like the oh this plan is foolproof. What could go wrong? And then like immediately like oh shit something went wrong. Like damn it. Uh fuck. Okay, they got to Crowley. That wasn't gonna. That was supposed to happen. Shit. Um. Oh, we fake Crowley's death. And then Eve reveals Crowley's alive. Just, God damn it, Eve. <laughs> like it really. Like even looking back at that episode when they go to confront Eve. Cass is so like, let me deal with this. I got this. I'll I'll, I'll confront her because I don't want her seeing shit because she knows Crowley's still alive. I also want to point out that when Sam, Dean, and Bobby trap Cass in Holy Fire and Sam and Bobby try to get Cass to admit to like his duplicity, right, to his lies, he still tries to make like his way out of it. But the second that Dean is like, you got to look at me, man. You got to level with me and tell me what's going on look at me in the eye and tell me you're not working with Crowley and like in that moment all of that duplicity comes to light with just one look at each other I think that this speaks to like the old like procedural saying you know that we hear so much like on these old procedural shows like wives know when their husbands are lying there was a lot of meaningful looks in this episode and I think there's even more than I realize now all right let's finish off with Crowley I don't think Crowley is being duplicitous this episode. I think he's being very honest, which, like, seems wrong. Like, it feels like this is going to betray me immediately. But I think he is very cards on the tight table. Like, he's getting everything he wants out of this deal with virtually no downside. I mean, like, yes, he's losing some soldiers, and he has to put the effort in. But, like, here's the deal. Cass, you get those, like, denim-clad idiots of yours to do all the work while I just sit back and torture some idiots. And we get all the souls we could ever want and get to win both our sides and you can have heaven, I can have hell and Bob's your uncle. Like, I I don't think that he's lying here. You know, it, it truly seems like he's doing this for his own personal interest, of course, but like, it, it seems very important to me to realize that like, throughout all of this, like, deception and lies with each other, Crowley seems to be like, besides Dean, the only one being truthful. And like, that feels super weird. I think that you could argue that through his flattery of Cass, with the whole like, God loves you, he brought you back so that you could be the new sheriff upstairs, like speech, maybe he's not being entirely truthful because is that what he really thinks? Like, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. I would go with probably not. But having Cass on his side serves him, and so he's going to say whatever he can in order to make him do whatever he needs him to do, right? And so in that sense, I'm, not, I'm just not sure that he's being entirely truthful. But, but I agree with you. Like, what he said so far has been happening, and he's been a demon of his word uh, when it comes to the deal that they've been making. I do think, though, that Crowley is a catalyst for Cass to be more honest with himself when he's like, you know the difference between you and me? I know what I am. What are you, Castiel? What exactly are you willing to do? And I think that this is pretty brilliant because here Crowley is basically like, 
I know exactly how far I can stray from the truth and how many people I can betray in order to achieve my goals. Like, I know that to me, my ends justify my means. But what about you? Like, is there a limit to what you are going to do to the means that you're going to employ in order to get to your ends? And like, honestly, for me, like, I think that that is literally the central question of the second half of this entire season, like for Cass and for those around him. I think that kind of is the territory and the benefit of being a demon for Crowley is that like, he doesn't have anyone to lie to about his intentions. So that like, yeah, I want to run hell. I want to rule it. I want to be the king of this place. There's no like, I like, you know, Cass's whole thing is I'm doing this to save heaven. I'm doing this to avoid an apocalypse so that Dean gets to live. You know, there, there is a motive behind, you know, the, his actions more so than he's letting on, even if we clearly know what it is. But Crowley's actions are very blunt and honest. Like, I'm waiting again for the secret reveal of like, oh, him getting purgatory means he can bring hell to earth or some magical mumbo jumbo. But like, generally, it seems like he's pretty on the level. I agree. I think that Crowley in his very own way like acts how he thinks is right according to his code. He's like, I don't mind lying to you so long as it means that I get what I want. Right? And I think that so long as you know that about him. I don't think what he says to Cass about the whole like being the new sheriff in town is necessarily a lie. It might be a little self-serving because I think he knows Cass in kind of the same way he points out to Cass better the devil you know, I think kind of goes both ways. Like he'd rather have Cass ruling in heaven where there's probably not going to be an apocalypse, which means all of demon kind is going to get wiped out along with all the humans. Like it benefits him. So like, and God did bring him back. It's not like he's lying. It's not like he was making up a story. I, I think there's some truth to what he's saying there still. Having been brought up in like French school, like we, one of the things that we had to read was like Les Fables de Jean de La Fontaine. So like the fables of La Fontaine. And uh, one of them is like the fox and the crow. So basically the crow is up on a tree and he's holding cheese in his beak. And the fox looks at it and goes, oh my God, that cheese looks amazing. And then he's like, the fox starts flattering the crow, being like, I heard that you have the most beautiful voice of the forest. How I would love to hear your voice. And eventually the crow gives in and starts singing. And so, and, and he, he cr- craws, caws? Anyway, makes a sound. Well, I mean, I don't think they sing. I think they go, caw! <laughs> Which I think sounds beautiful. I love crows. I'm a sucker for them. They're Wonderful. And, and, drops the cheese for the fox to go and to, to take and eat. And I really feel that that's what's going on between Cass and Crowley. Because, like, does Crowley even believe in God? Is he aware of Chuck? Does he know that Chuck exists? Like, it feels like one of those things where it's like, like, he knows the higher, he knows there's angels. Like, does he not, do, do demons not just implicitly know that God exists as well? I don't know. I, and that's kind of my thing, right? I'm like, I feel like he's just kind of flattering, like, Cass in order to get what he wants. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I really don't care about any of that. Maybe it's real, maybe it's not. But, like, I need to say these things to you in order for you to do what, for you to do my bidding, essentially. <laughs> No, I get that. And I think it's a great metaphor because even myself, I would stoop to many low levels to get cheese. <laughs> just just like all the puppies I know. 
Cheese tacks. Critical time. So, who was behind this episode? What combined team of writer and director could come together to make such a perfect episode? The one person who takes full credit for this episode is Ben Edlund, because he both wrote and directed this episode that originally aired on May 6th, 2011. Still, that's amazing. What's in the Hunter's Journal this week? The world burned. I, I tried to stop it. I spent years working towards this moment and making sure it would not come to pass. I worked with every hunter I knew who might have any way of helping me stop this. I collected ancient tomes, books, scrolls, pieces of old paintings and carved stone walls. All over the world, these things were brought together and pieced it all together. I knew what had to be done. But I failed. I couldn't stop it. The world was ending. As has been predicted, the world was coming to a literal end. This is the part where I usually figure out what to do, but I'm, I'm out of ideas. I'm sitting here in a bunker underneath what was once the home of a hunter I knew, and I'm just waiting. Maybe it'll miss me and I'll be stuck living in this hellscape that I let happen. Or maybe I'll be found and made a trophy for who or whatever takes over this crumbled remains of a planet. Really, I don't care. Whatever happens, I deserve it. This is my fault. I could have stopped it. I should have clearly stopped it, but I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to take down someone I cared about. I thought maybe, maybe they cared about me enough and wouldn't really go through with it, but... I saw it in them. And only in those last few seconds were they still in their own form, where it's truly them. I could comprehend. I didn't see it in them. None of it meant anything. It was all leading to this moment, and I was just a puppet. My strings now cut loose. I lay here useless. A little dramatic betrayal. I know how Dean feels sometimes. And with this such an important episode, what thoughts do you have to share with us? Well, I'd like to talk about our theme one last time this week, because through his duplicity, Cass is betraying Bobby, he's betraying Sam, he's betraying Dean, but he's also betraying us as the audience. When I first watched this episode a few years ago, I found it really difficult to find out that Cass had been hiding all these things from Dean, but also like from me for an entire season, <laughs> you know, in season four, when Sam is having like a similar arc, I would say we, we saw we saw what was going on. Uh, we saw it happen and, and we were privy to the details of it. But here we only find out through Cass's confession of sorts, you know, like we're not too sure what it is, but we only find out through that moment. And I think that like the audience betrayal is addressed very clearly through the breaking of the fourth wall in the beginning when Cass is like looking straight into the camera and he says like, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you everything. And I really feel like Cass telling us his story or telling us everything is basically what he would have liked to do with Dean, but he wasn't able to, like, due to their complete communication breakdown in that last scene. I, I love that, and I agree with it completely. I think that was the exact same, like, where where I eventually got to as well. It, it, it gives much more emotion and meaning to the telling of this story and extension how it ends with Cass's praying for a, 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 a sign. And you know what's what's ironic about this? It's that 
through listening to this story, like we feel a lot of empathy for Cass. Like even though we, th- a lot of people still think that what he's doing is wrong. A lot of people are like, oh, we get why you're doing it. Like, but don't do it. Like we get it, but <laughs> please stop. But we never really stop loving him. And so like Dean, had he listened to him, I think, I, I, I don't know. I think maybe the outcome might've been different. I think it's really easy to watch a relationship end and assume that love is lost. But to watch a relationship like theirs effectively come to an end in this moment, a breakup effectively, where it is still very apparent that both parties love each other, but something has driven a wedge between them is so much harder to watch. This week, we have a message from Travis. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us that recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, what's a compliment that would get you to drop the cheese if you were the crow? For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk, stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. So this message was sent in uh, by a listener, Travis, in regards to me asking a question in a previous episode for examples of hopeless sacrifices like Joe and Ellen's giving their life to try to stop the devil and not really doing anything. So Travis says, I've got your hopeless moment from another media for you. Vision during Infinity War. When Wanda destroys the Mind Stone and then Thanos uses the Time Stone to bring it back and collect all the stones. The whole scene in the end with Vision's death was absolutely nothing. Also, little history on the title of the real Ghostbusters, where this question originally came from. It had to be called such because there was already a TV series called Ghostbusters from 1986, so they needed to change the name for the cartoon version for the mainstream Ghostbusters, so they called it the real Ghostbusters so it would not get confused. Both amazing facts from Travis, thank you. While I've seen the Marvel movies and Infinity War and all of that stuff, not all of, anyway, not all of them, but I did see like Endgame, I think, but I've only watched them once. And the reason why I've only watched them once is because the first time I watched them, like I was not expecting the kind of despair that I would feel after watching them. And I was like, this is too much for like, a superhero movie like I, I'm sorry but I don't I don't watch superhero movies because I want to feel absolute despair um, and I stopped watching Marvel movies after that so I completely agree with your analysis Travis about um, a true hopeless moment in other media oh god yes like when when we got when I got this text from Travis this was like he was listening to the episode and this hit him I was just like oh like that's one of those like rare TV moments or movie moments that just like struck a chord. And I'm like, I'm shocked. I didn't think of it first because it is, it's devastating to watch an emotional moment on the same level as this episode's Dean and Cass moment of like a heart wrenching separation just to have it basically made null and void because someone could undo it. Like, Oh yeah. That's really, 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 really upsetting when like somebody sacrifices themselves and then, uh, you find out a little later that maybe it didn't matter all that much. Absolutely, I agree. So, I, I again, I, I think this is already, like, two great examples, the Joe and Ellen and now the Vision and Wanda ones. Um, I would love more of these. I'm sure there must be other ones in media that we're missing. So if you have any more, please send them in, Travis or anyone. 
Uh, and also, like, tidbits like the Ghostbusters thing, I love that. I, like, it's one of those weird things I never thought to look up, but, like, it always, like, why is it called that? Eh, whatever. No, one day I'll look it up. And so, so thank you for both points, Travis. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's good to hear from you. So, Mary, do you have a reflection or a call to action for this week? Yeah, I, I think I'm feeling called to make more of an effort to hear people out because, like, ultimately, I, I really do think that Dean is right and Cass is wrong. And I also think that Dean should have listened to Cass because I think Cass needed to be heard and Dean needed to know that his word mattered to him. Like, they both had specific needs that I think could have been answered by having a conversation where they had rules of engagement or at least like proper tools to help them communicate to one another. What about you, darling? Honestly, for me, this episode just really made me reflect on the people I love and just the thought to reach out to them. And I've spent the last few days like really just sort of like spreading my like digital fingerprints around and reaching people and reminding them how important they are to me and how much I love them and they mean to me and I'm always here for them. We can always talk and to just keep connected and hopefully be as honest as possible to people I love and that I choose to be around. I love that. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigourou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Travis for his message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say, one of my greatest comments of all time, I was out with a few friends because we used to exclusively go to gay clubs, uh, even at the time, even though I was still very much presenting a straight, I, I didn't realize I was pan and I hadn't come out. Um, but I always enjoyed the environment better and they were gay and they preferred gay bars and I was like, great, this is like this perfect combo. Um, I prefer and I, gay bars, but I'm straight. Anyway, yeah, I know. It's very relatable. The retrospective. I'm looking back here. I, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we were, we all had blinders on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to a certain degree. Uh, but I had a great moment where, like, pure coincidence, I ran to an old friend that they were meeting up with. It was her birthday, and like, she saw me, was like so excited, jumped into my arms. Uh, big reunion. She goes, "I'm so happy you're here. I'm so I'm so happy you finally came out." <laughs> and I like. And she, she's a very, like, petite little thing. So I, like, pick her up and put her down. Like, I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. But no, I'm straight. And then one of her very good-looking friends goes, oh. 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 This happened, what, like, 12 years ago? I'm still riding that one. <laughs> <laughs>